Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Breaking news. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From the beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using code UNFILTERED20 for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame your mane. No one likes a weird beard. Say say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is a juggernaut of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. That's right, face grooming doesn't need to be hard. Get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. Plus... It's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency. That brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. They have created four dermatologically tested formulations for your post-trim care. First, there is the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. That's why the kit has made shampoo and conditioner specially designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replace natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's Beard Oil, an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No one wants a guy whose beard is brittle and dry. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath, while adding a little shimmer and shine, making your look extra fine. Tap off the kit with the Beard Bomb, a a pomade that shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames for a sculpted look to attract any fellows or dames. The Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code unfiltered20. Manscaped Beer Hedger. One stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Putney, and I'm joined by a special guest returning to the show, Marco D'Amico of Montreal Hockey Now. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's going to be a fun uh, couple of weeks, I'd say, talking about the Canadians. Yeah, uh, I know Dorval Airport's going to be very busy in the next little while as well. Yeah, I'd have to say, you know, already prior to the prior to the break, there was uh, a lot of scouts flying in, uh, checking to see the games. I think the last game uh, prior to the break, uh, not this Tuesday that just passed the one before, but there were at least 10 to 12 scouts, which is, I mean, normal. But, you know, this is the time of year where uh, air miles are earned, let's just say. Yeah, well, the last couple of games, I noticed it's not just pro scouts. It's uh, the head of pro scouting or uh, an assistant GM or both are being sent by specific teams as well. Yeah, well, you're seeing that across the league now. It's it's kind of normal. It happens from time to time. Like, you know, I know that Pierre Dorian likes to travel and scout as well. At the same time, he was in L.A. recently, uh, was in Montreal that Tuesday. But obviously, Ottawa was playing, so it made a ton of sense. Um, you know, we've seen uh, Emily Castonguay of the uh, Vancouver Canucks in town a few times, but it also makes sense considering that she's from Montreal and her clientele is in Montreal. Um, you know, and then you know, the New Jersey Devils, I mean, we wrote about this Montreal Hockey Now, but the New Jersey Devils have had a significant presence, uh, you know, assistant general manager during the year, um, you know, David, uh, David Savard, sorry, Andre Savard, uh, Brian Strait, like a lot of of their pro scouting has come in, I think five different 
scouts from the New Jersey Devils have watched the Montreal Canadiens in the last month. So it's all part of the process. Teams are trying to gather information as they create their boards. And, you know, it, it, if you see a lot of scouts, it doesn't necessarily mean trades are happening. I mean, I'll give you a direct example. Uh, I think I saw the Colorado Avalanche maybe twice at the Bell Center uh, in the time that I was there between February and the, the, the March 21st trade deadline. And they still paid up quite handsomely for 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 Arturi Lekkanen, who went on to be such a such a dynamic player for them in their Stanley Cup run. So like, yeah, having scouts presence is is, is good, but with video today and having access to to isolated shifts and whatnot through through you know programs like Instat, it does it, it isn't necessarily the the be all end all, and uh, especially if they're in the Eastern Conference, a lot of those teams. I mean, you play the each other minimum three times so you get to know the player and especially the players that are on the block for the Montreal Canadiens I mean they already have a pretty well set reputation now sticking with that um it's been widely discussed on pretty much every mainstream media site on your website Montreal Hockey Now on my own website about Josh Anderson and you mentioned the Devils. That's why I piqued my uh, my interest a little bit. And I bring up his name because they have been connected to him. So I was just wondering about what you feel the Devils would do to acquire Anderson or if they would at all. I mean, they want a power forward on their team with term. It, this is a known fact at this point. I think, you know, even even uh, Tom Fitzgerald has been outspoken about it. They were interested uh, or they do like a guy like Josh Anderson. I don't know that I would say that they're desperate to get a guy like Josh Anderson. However, I mean, I think on the pecking order, Timo Meyer is at the top. And it's a player that makes a ton of sense for them. That that Swiss connection, obviously very good friends um, with Nico Hischier. I think that's chemistry that's already made right there and then. Um, I think that's their main target. What they're also doing and what smart teams do is that you need to develop a pecking order in terms of, okay, well, if this guy's off the board, who do we go to? And so that's, that's the key with them. You know, and another team I wouldn't count on is the Calgary Flames because the Montreal Canadiens have – flexibility as well from a cap perspective because they have like once injured players come back they'll have about two to three to you know four million at if they maximize properly in ltir space that they could also use to, to wiggle around some salary they can retain on certain contracts although i don't think that they'll retain on josh anderson that's too long a contract but if you look at other guys like a sean monahan maybe even a joel edmondson seeing as canadians aren't expected to necessarily compete next year either and retaining maybe a million dollars if that's what gets you the first round pick or a top prospect yeah. then you do it you know like you 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 bite the bullet it's it's one year but a guy like josh anderson i think it's more like the canadians would have to take back a contract to make that kind of work and so i i look at a team like the calgary flames there's been talk of the edmonton oilers consistently having uh interest but i mean they have interest in everybody at this point. It's a question of will Ken Holland ever make a move? Um, and then you have obviously New Jersey. Uh, and you know, where where I a lot of people start immediately throwing names out like Simon Nemitz, uh, you know, uh, Luke Hughes, um, you know, even Alexander Holtz. Like, no, it's it, and again, like Alexander Holtz, I take it back. Alexander Holtz is a giant, maybe, but. That would be like I, Alexander Holtz to me is the perfect player to include in a trade for Timo Meyer. I don't know that it would make much sense for them to do it in a Josh Anderson trade specifically because you want to have both Anderson and Holtz in your lineup. If that's the way it's going to work and you may instead sacrifice elsewhere. The one thing though, that has caught my attention a little bit with the New Jersey devils and this Timo Meyer stuff is if they acquire Timo Meyer, they're, they're extending. It's 100%. This is a fact. But what does that extension, because he can't make 
more than nine million, like it's a nine million or a ten million dollar qualifying offer. He's looking for nine million yeah. long term. How does that impact the yes the Jesper Bratt negotiations then? Because exactly he's, he's with Hughes. Hughes is at eight. If you pay someone more than Hughes, well then then Jesper Bratt is going to want more than Timo Meyer because I don't think anybody can argue at this point. I think Jesper Bratt has been the better player and is younger than Timo Myers. So what is that going to do to their cap structure? Because it's going to create a mess very soon for them. They don't have issues right now. I mean, they can, they can go ahead and sign, but when it's going to come time to be competitive long-term you know, I think that's where things may, may be problematic. So that's why they're looking for guys that are already signed because that's it. That's an assurance. And that's why I think Josh Anderson does make sense for them. Although not likely now, perhaps in the off season, if they have an early exit in the playoffs, I think that's more of a, a, a trade that they can look at, but I'm not, I'm not putting, um, I'm I'm not saying that Josh Anderson cannot be traded before the NHL trade deadline. We, I mean, we could, we've seen moves like that. I mean, we didn't think that Jeff Petrie could be traded before the NHL trade deadline and the Habs had a move ready and unfortunately couldn't make it happen. Um, yeah. But he was almost, almost moved at the trade deadline last year. So it's, I wouldn't necessarily put it past them. It's a question of who's going to pay up because, you know, uh, Josh Anderson is a unicorn. And even on a team like the Montreal Canadiens this season, which again is, is, is a bottom five team, especially when Cole Caulfield is, is not on the ice um, yeah. for him to still we'll get be to on a 25. Soon. Yeah. To, for, for him to be on a 25 goal pace still uh, yeah. is, is pretty, is pretty good. And it speaks volume. I think, Again, on a, on a very competitive team, like like say the New Jersey Devils, you know it is possible that he could be a perennial 25, 30 goal scorer on the Devils because the Devils are so stacked down the middle and they have yeah. the kinds of players that could make the plays for Josh Anderson. With the Montreal Canadiens, they he is outside of Cole Caulfield right now. He is their only bona fide winger that you could you know realistically argue is a t- of top six talent. He's the only one right now. So that creates kind of a situation where you you have disbalanced lines. Chemistry is all over the place, not conducive. And it's no, it's, it's, it's by no chance whatsoever that the most productive line on the Montreal Canadiens was the one that stuck together the longest. Like that's how you develop long-term chemistry. That's how you, you go out and make those kinds of impacts uh, as a team. That's how you grow. Josh Anderson hasn't had a, st- a stable running partner in terms of, of line mates for since he's been with Montreal. So I, I would be curious to see how he would look like on a contending team, because when Montreal had their, that Stanley cup run, he was, he was trending for 26 goals as well that year. So if, if it's more of a stacked team, I think he can bring even more value offensively as long as you're not asking him to do what the, the Montreal Canadians are doing right now. And that's drive the play. He's a finisher. He's a brand. He's a banger. He's a great guy in the room. I think you have to utilize him in that kind of a role and he'll get you your, your 25, potentially even 30 goals. If you, if you use him right, it's just, I don't think he's going to be able to do that with Montreal in the immediate future. And if the yeah. value is high on him, I could understand the argument for capitalizing. But again, like I just described, it's a player worth keeping because it's hard to find. I personally just believe that there are a few power forwards available in this in this draft coming up that could potentially play that role, um, not necessarily next year, but the year after or the year after that, that could help make Montreal maybe a more sustainable team. And by sacrificing a guy like Josh Anderson, especially with Cole Caulfield already out, you may also increase your chances of, of getting said players um, in that process. Yeah. So it, these are all the things that a GM has to kind of take into account. It's difficult. Uh, to make a, dis- a distinct call. My call is if you can get a first and a top prospect that could step into the NHL very soon for Josh Anderson, I think that's the kind of deal that Kent Hughes is looking for. And I'm looking at the teams that are rumored to be in on him or have confirmed been in on him and teams like New Jersey, who could offer quite a significant uh, return and would f- be a good fit. But uh, I keep looking back at Calgary and thinking he's, you mentioned that chemistry side. He he's played with Toffoli in the past. He's had good chemistry with Toffoli in the past, who is in Calgary. 
Uh, he brings that uh, that power forward style that they really need, especially in the West, where while it's still not as competitive as the East overall, they still play that style of play out West. And they have first round picks. They have prospects that they would be willing to sacrifice to bring a guy in with that cost certainty. So there's, I see a possibility for some kind of a bidding war after Timo Myers uh, taken care of, but the essentially I'm with you. I don't believe that he's a trade deadline move. He's more of a summer move. I it's just the five point five million dollar cap hit and all the teams basically yeah. just like especially if you look at Calgary. I mean, even with Milan Lucic coming off the books next year, Calgary's right up against the cap right now for next season. So they'd have to move out some salary to make that kind of a move. So they'd make a whole one place to put a hole somewhere else. And that this is the problem. They have an excess of left shot wingers right now, and they desperately need a bruising right shot guy, which is probably why I don't see Calgary either going like big game hunting, unless of course they gain clarity on what's happening with Oliver Shillington um, because you know, he's not played at all this year. Um, if that can kind of free itself up and he's confirmed to be out for the season, well, that's $2.5 million more that they can play with. Now you can start kind of making or, or moving in a way that is conducive. But even then, I I see Calgary more in a rental situation just because they have an okay cap situation this year. It, it, it's when the deals for, for uh, Jonathan Huberdeau um, and Mackenzie Weger kick in next year that's what makes it almost impossible for me. Like they, the Canadians would assuredly have to take on a contract that is longer than simply just this season. Like a lot of people, I see trade proposals with Milan Lucic. I don't, I don't think that gets the job done because then that basically puts the Calgary flames in a situation where they have to shed close to $4 million next year. Um, You know, and I I just don't see that happening. That, uh, that brings me to Edmondson now. Edmondson's been in the in the in the news for trade uh, rumors, and I know you mentioned Edmonton earlier, but I mean I can't really see how the Canadians can make a move until he's returned to play, and nobody knows when that's going to be. Oh, it's it's not expected to be a long term injury though. It's a, it's a day to day thing. I mean, they just you know I mean yeah I, I I get it, but like he was walking around. So was Monahan. <laughs> yeah, Monaghan was walking around in a walking boot, though, and they see like yeah. that's kind of my issue, right? Whereas like Joel Edmondson was walking around, no problem. I I think that's pretty minor, and I think a lot of people are like very focused on this trade deadline. I invite them to look back at last year. Uh, ben Sherratt was injured right up until the trade deadline. Uh, the whole month of March was just like people freaking out because they, whoa, they're not going to get the first round pick. They got the first round pick and then some. And the first round pick is for this year, not last year. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, looking at a guy like Jeff Petrie. Will they trade him? Will they not? They came extremely close to trading Jeff Petrie at the NHL trade deadline last year. And he was injured in and out of the lineup and playing terrible hockey. So you can make moves if players are injured. Heck, Gustav Nyquist is out for the next two months and is still probably going to get traded at the NHL trade deadline because they don't care about right now they're acquiring these players to go far in the playoffs so if he's got you know something nagging as long as it's not something that can inhibit him from playing to the level that he's been known to play when the chips are on the table i'm not buying the like i'm not buying it i'm not buying it at all especially you look at a player like him like that's why it makes sense to rest them now because you get to the point where you're going to start talking to teams. They're going to integrate back into the lineup. Teams are going to be watching. Joel Edmondson was playing his best hockey right until he got that lower upper body injury. And it's not by chance. There were a lot of people watching. There were scouts from LA. There were scouts from Edmonton. There were scouts from Washington. Three teams that I've put out that have, that could be ideal trading partners for the Canadians. I mean, Washington doesn't even, does, Washington has one defenseman signed past this season and it's yeah. John Carlson, and he's injured. Obviously, Farivari is probably going to get re-signed. They may try to keep one of Orlov or Jensen. We'll see. But they desperately need a left-shot D to kind of come in and, and be that veteran presence on the left side because they they don't currently have one lined up. 
Washington makes sense. LA, LA is the opposite of Montreal right now, where they are just like stacked on the right side and have nothing right now on the left side. They have Alexander, Alex Edler right now, kind of like holding down the fourth on the left, and they're forced to play Sean Dursey on the left. And that's not, you know, like it, it works for now, but ideally, he, you know, you would yep. rather put him on his on his real side. But they also have to think about next year. And next year, Brant Clark, who's tearing up the OHL, and surprisingly, is probably going to have full-time power, uh, you know, NHL minutes. I mean, he may he cracked the roster this year. So he's I would be shocked if he didn't next year. And that's just him. Then you have Jordan Spence, Helge Granz. That's a lot of right shot guys. You can talk about Sean Walker, you talk about Matt Roy, Drew Doughty is still in the fold. So that's a lot of guys. And they're looking to get better on the left side. Tobias Bjornfoot, who is a f- first round pick of theirs, hasn't necessarily developed to the level that they have, uh, that they'd like. Uh, they also have uh, Jacob Moravare, who hasn't necessarily reached that NHL level. So they, they have these guys, but they they want the surefire thing. And it kind of helps that the guy who gave Joel Edmondson his contract and Mark Bergevay is advising in a senior capacity directly to the general manager that is Rob Blake, who has shown interest in Joel Edmondson in the past. Prior to what we heard last night from, from Pierre Lebrun, this is something I can confirm that they yeah. have been in conversations dating back to November. Um, so th- those make sense. And I mean, Edmonton has been looking at Joel Edmondson since last year. They settled on, they, they liked Ben Sherratt. They like Joel Edmondson. They sh- they settled on on Brett Kulak. Uh, I think no Montreal Canadiens fan uh, is um, dissatisfied with that trade today, with Lane Hudson being the product of that second-round pick acquired in the Kulak trade. But I okay. think... Yeah, he's, he's fine. But I think he's okay. a guy like Joel Edmondson in Edmonton makes a ton of sense, just first of all, for the phonetics. Edmondson in Edmonton would be great. Uh, but also, if you look at the fit... They have a lot of offensive style guys, you know, Cody Cece, yeah. uh, Tyson Barry, um, you know, you, you can, you, you even look at Broberg who's kind of coming in. Um, and then obviously um, why well, I'm, I'm now I'm blanking on his name, um, <laughs> but there's a lot. Yeah, yeah no, there, there's definitely a lot, but there's, um, there's specifically one that the Oilers drafted 10th overall that escapes my name. Shard. Um, there you go, Evan Bouchard, who is also like an up-and-coming offensive player. So, like yeah. having a guy like Evan Bouchard kind of play with Joel Edmondson, I think that's properly insulating your youth. You then have Brett Kulak on your third pair, you know, and and kind of evening things out, and then you kind of fit Cody CC and Tyson Berry where you want. I think that brings about a lot of stability and that extra year for Joel Edmondson it provides certainty for a guy like Ken Holland who doesn't like to take needless rental risks. I mean, look, he re-signed Brett Kulak to a four-year contract. I mean, that's the kind the same thing applies. uh, The same thing applied with uh, Evander Kane. He made a move for Kane immediately extended him. Like those are the kinds of moves you see from that general manager. So by default, just by looking at the way he trades and goes about his business, he likes that security. So it makes sense to me that they would go for a guy like Edmondson. I don't know that, you know, like they're looking also at like Jacob Chitron. I I would be shocked if they made a move like that for Jacob Chitron because I don't know that they would want to pay the price that that is being asked, which is the equivalent of three, four first round picks at this point. Uh, and yeah, Vladislav ridiculous size price. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, eventually I think someone's going to pay it because, I mean, Jacob Chitron is going to play himself. It, Jacob Chitron is doing two things right now. He's single-handedly helping them defensively be a better team, thereby going to get points, such as, you know, the last couple of nights. Uh, they're, they're, I believe, only four points behind the Montreal Canadiens in the standings right yeah. now, which is unfathomable. They were 10 points behind them, like, three weeks ago. And in doing so, he's upping his trade value. So, like, you're damned if you do, but you're damned if you don't. And so I think a team might flinch. The team that makes the most sense for me in terms of Jacob Chitron is the LA Kings. But a team that I could see being a sneaky, sneaky backdoor team to watch out for is the Boston Bruins. Because I feel I've, I've how fully... dare you use that kind of language on this show? I'm sorry, I'm saying they're sneaky. I feel I felt like that was fair. No, no, um, but no, no. The, you use no, the, just, the word just the name Bruins. Sorry, I think I think Boston is set at forward. I don't think they yeah. want to ruin that chemistry. 
I think no. that they're they're gonna no, no. want they're gonna want to shore up that defense. And having a guy like Jacob Chitrin sign for another year allows them within their cap structure. If they want to tell their their players like David Krejci, Patrice Bergeron, look what we did this year, come back for one more year, and that kind of helps them also kind of extend the contract of David Pasternak. It would be a perfect storm. Uh, I know for a fact that the Bruins are looking to show David Pasternak that they mean business long-term and that this isn't going to become a retool. This is kind of a way you can do that. They have prospects that the that that could be of interest. Uh, Fabian Lichel, yeah. their first-round pick, obviously, and I believe it will cost also a roster player, maybe a, a, a Carlo in, in a move like that. But I feel like they have the assets too. But all this does, and all, all you have, all these teams kind of coming in on the on the left D market, all it's doing is increasing the value for sellers because I just named you three teams. I just named you three defensemen. The only other one that I haven't named is Shane Gostisbehere, who's another kind of defenseman that could be of interest. But again, yeah offensive defenseman right like i don't think that a team like edmonton needs an offensive defenseman i really don't i I, you have darnell nurse you have tyson barry of evan bouchard cody cc like you are offensive your problem is not offense it's defense and then the same when you look at uh, a team like uh boston they don't really need offense from their back end. Hampus Lindholm and, and Charlie McAvoy have been stupendous this year. So they can afford to go either Chitrin or, uh, you know, more. I, I don't believe that Edmondson would ever go to Boston, but I'll eat my words if he does. Um, it's a possibility. Well, Boston was interested in Ben Sherratt and the condition to, to trading for him would have been the same yeah. condition that they had in Hampus Lindholm where they wanted an extension in place. And so... Uh, you know, Canadians didn't want to get into that. And I don't think Ben Chirac was interested in going to Boston either, uh, which is why a non-extension trade was made with the Florida Panthers for a 2023 first. Um, so just turning like, up pretty see, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I think the best thing that could happen that happened right now to, to that pick is the fact that the New York Islanders traded for Bo Horvat because now the Islanders have won two straight after a, a nice little slide down the standings. Um, you know, in December and January. And the Buffalo Sabres also have the assets to up the ante a little bit and add a player of value. Um, so the race in the East is going to be interesting. And I know for a fact that the Pittsburgh Penguins are also looking at adding a defenseman. Uh, Brian McCabe uh, is, uh, sorry, Jake McCabe, Brian McCabe. Jake McCabe uh, is a player that they were looking at uh, recently. Um so there's a lot of players that I could see moving on defense. I don't think it's as flush with options as it was last year. Last year, you know, you had Ben Sherratt, um, you know, John Klingberg was yay or nay the whole time, but it was part of that kind of process. Uh, and the stars decided to keep him after the injury to Heiskanen. Uh, you had Manson as well that generated a good, a good return. So there was a developing, whereas this year, it really is, you know, Chitrin, Gavrikov, Bear, Edmondson as your core. And then you kind of have the sneaky guys, you know, on, on the bottom, like a McCabe uh, that could be of interest, uh, you know, to other teams. Where I think that where I think the Canadians will have the advantage, in my opinion, is the overall like mythos and reputation that comes with winning Stanley Cups and having that Stanley Cup experience. Gavrikov is a good NHL defenseman, but doesn't have that experience. I mean, I, I think he has what, like 15, 12, I was close, 12 playoff games. And in terms of experience, he has three points. Yeah. Um, and and the, that was at the top of Columbus's, uh, Columbus's game. He was coming into the league. Um, you know, the, the when you look at Jacob Chitrin, I mean, it's the same concept. You don't have that, that experience. Gostas Bear. Gustav's bear is a, is, is, is kind of a special thing, but again, you're looking at teams looking to get serious and it's, it becomes difficult. Even Gustav's bear 17 playoff games, but how do you compete with a guy who's got 50? And I'm not saying that Joel Edmondson is a better defenseman than any of the guys I just mentioned. I'm saying if you're looking at bringing in a guy that could really kind of, come into a winning situation and square a defensive unit. That's exactly what Joel Edmondson did in 2020, 2021 with the Montreal Canadiens because they had an established 
three defensemen and you just yeah. plugged in a guy with the experience, the know-how, the physicality, the, the, you know, the, 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 the mindset of the defensive zone that was able to kind of come in and complement that court. I feel like that's exactly what he can bring. And that's why teams are paying attention and keeping tabs on him because if health is good in terms of all the players that the Montreal Canadiens have potentially available, I think he's the most likely to move because we're talking just about fits with other teams. Let's talk about a fit with Montreal. Yeah. Arbor Jackai, Caden Gooley, Jordan Harris already on the NHL roster. You are you went and got Mike Matheson. That is not moving. So already you have four left-handed D playing in the NHL, guaranteed. Um, Lane Hudson, I'm not saying is coming up this year, probably next year to finish the season, but that doesn't mean he's going to get full-time NHL minutes. Um, you have William Trudeau playing very well in the American Hockey League right now. That's going to be knocking on the door really soon. Adam Engstrom is already playing like good minutes in the SHL, you know, uh, really putting up solid numbers as we speak for a, for an 18, 19 year old in his post draft year. It's, it's exceptional. Um, yeah, the Canadians you know, don't have a gonna... lot of space there for those left-handers. No. And they're going to need to start like moving some out for right-handed shots, which is the reason why like, yeah. I will be releasing an article on this today. By the time this video posts have already be out where the Montreal Canadians and the LA Kings make a ton of sense in terms of trade partners, because they need left defensemen. Montreal needs young right D uh, there's two of them that could be of interest, uh, not Brand Clark. That that's a pipe dream, but a guy like Jordan Spence, a guy like Helge Granz, those are guys that yeah. could make sense for the Montreal Canadiens if they look to make a move for Joel Edmondson in LA. Um, you know, in, in case LA doesn't want to sacrifice their first round pick two years in a row, I can understand it. Um, but that's why I think those kinds of deals make sense because you know the Canadians. Kent Hughes said it. He wants to use his organizational strengths to his advantage. This is an organizational strength by far because Mark Bergevin decided between the years of 2018 and 2021 that he was going to fix the hole left by the uh, departures of uh, Andrei Markov and the trading of Mikhail Sergachev by just drafting every left-handed shot defenseman available in those drafts. And for the most part, it worked out. Uh, but it just yeah. created other holes elsewhere by focusing entirely on one position. So it works out today because those players have matured. And now, like, for example, Alexander Romanov, uh, Romanov for Kirby Doc. I think everybody's very happy with that. And I think, you know, all teams in, in, in involved were very happy with that. That move, that move specifically points to uh, Hughes using the strengths to fill other gaps, as you mentioned just before with the right D, right D. And I, I think the best indicator of future action is past action. And having done it already, I think you're going to, you're hitting the nail on the head with LA and their surplus of right D. Yeah. I mean, LA is one of them for sure. Um, and you know, like you think back to Colorado last year, Colorado didn't have a first round pick. So they sacrificed Justin Barron in an Arturi Lekkanen trade. And I mean, Lekkanen being an RFA, you know, you had some control over him. They decided to extend him yeah. to a, what is a very sweetheart contract right now. And it just creates a situation where you capitalize on, you know, the iron being hot. And I feel like the iron is hot on Joel Edmondson because you see what kind of, what's kind of going on with his back, his health, is this, is that. There's a risk in waiting to trade him next year. What happens if he gets injured like we saw last year? Next year, when you need to trade, you have you you have another Sean Monahan situation on your hands where yeah. you're not sure what's gonna happen, and so I think that's where the situation lies: is asset protection and asset management, but also you want your young defenseman to take the next step next year. So by having young guys push out veterans from your lineup, that that's exactly what you're looking for, and that's part of the rebuild, and that's what you prefer, in fact, than a full raise it to the ground sell-off because then you wind up for example like the ottawa senators this year who aren't sure whether they're going to be sellers or buyers they don't have much to sell because they well, sold they it were, all off i thought their rebuild was done i mean uh, let's put it this way if your starting goalie is cam talbot your rebuild is not done if your right defense yeah. is 
what it is for the Ottawa Senators, your rebuild is not done. They, you know, their top picks have developed very nicely, very, very nicely. And that, that you got to give them credit. Sanderson looks to be the most reliable player for the Ottawa Senators. Um, you know, Tim Stutzla has risen to be a, uh, you know, a top line center in the absence of Josh, uh, Josh Norris. Um, Ridley Grieg has really developed. That's the pick they got for um, John Gabriel Peugeot, as we were reminded every 10 seconds this summer. Um, you know, it, it, these are these are guys that you're going to want to funnel up your lineup. Montreal needs to get to that point, but they cannot get to that point in, in, in sacrificing the overall development of the culture. Because right now in, in Ottawa, we talk about them kind of developing a culture, having Brady Kachuk, having this, having that. I don't buy it. I don't buy that they're close yet, despite sacrificing a top 10 pick to go and get Alex yeah. to bring it. Like their top six forwards are are, are stupendous. It, it's great. It's that defensive structure and it'll always be their, their, their Achilles heel. And that's why I don't think they're going to be trading their first round pick this year. I wouldn't be surprised for the, to see them draft uh, an Axel Sandin Pelica or a David Reinbacher because they need right shot D. And in fact, they may, Hey, I, I may eat my words and they may sacrifice that pick to go and get a right shot D uh, or a guy capable of playing right shot. Like they were interested in, in Jacob Chichen themselves. So there Carlson, are Carlson. I hear he's available. Yeah. Unsure that they would pay for a guy in that age bracket. That they but, already uh, paid to get rid of. Yeah, exactly. And well, I mean, pay to get rid of They're they're benefiting from that very nicely with Tim yeah. Stutzla and, uh, and Josh Norris and, and the like. But um, I think where we need to kind of shift it over is more like, you know, if you look at a team like for uh, a fit for Eric Carlson, the Buffalo yeah. Sabres, the Buffalo Sabres are a team that makes sense for Eric Carlson. That and would they be could take the cap hit. good. Yeah, they could take the cap hit. They could send some money the other way. Um Obviously, I would assume that San Jose would retain a little bit. I mean, they, heck, they retained on Brent Burns. You might as well retain on Eric Carlson to get yeah. a really good deal. And and there are prospects to give uh, in Buffalo. So I could I could see that eventually happening. I don't know if it's something that will happen at trade deadline, but maybe an offseason move that can make a ton of sense for them. Um, but again, you know, bringing it back to the Canadians, all this does is create buzz. You know, we talked about Anderson. We talked about Edmondson. You know, my main worry is the health of Sean Monahan because Sean Monahan is easily your most fluid trade chip. You can do whatever you want with Sean Monahan. You can keep him. You could extend him for a year. You can trade him at 50% retain. You can take back money. And if you were healthy, I, especially, uh, you know, with Bo Horvat already gone and, you know, teams unsure what's going on with Jonathan Taze, Ryan O'Reilly is to me like the, the main piece uh, on the trade market yeah. in terms of centers. But then after that, I think Sean Monahan makes much more sense than a Max Domi, who Max Domi, bless his soul, is not a center. Max Domi on a competitive team has to play on the wing. He's not, yeah. a, he's not a guy you want slotting into your second line, playing against the team's, you know, trying to shut down the team's t- best, you know, best line if you're playing on, uh, if, if you're playing on the road. It creates a situation where if Sean Monahan is okay, or state that he will be back shortly after the NHL trade deadline and is expected to make a full recovery and be ready to go. There's a situation there where I could see the Canadians having some sort of conditional trade where depending on how many games they play, depending on how far the team goes, similarly to the way that uh, the um, Andrew Kopp deal was structured yeah. between the Jets and New York, that ended up becoming a first round pick for the Winnipeg Jets. They selected Brad Lambert, uh, but that initially started as a second round pick. And if, the Rangers got to the conference finals. Um, then that pick became a first round pick. That's exactly what happened. I feel like that makes more sense to me in terms of a of a of a deal. And I think agreeably to a to a guy like Kent Hughes, you also trust a guy like Sean Monahan to be able to to get to those points and help his, help elevate a team. Where I kind of have my reservations, however, is you know what will the market look like. What is Sean Monahan's injury? Like if Sean Monahan's out for the season, then the Canadians do two things. They flip strategy completely and go from being yeah. sellers to salary cap brokers, right? Because Sean Monahan's $6.375 million cap hit 
basically it just gets added to their LTIR pool, which it is right now, they're on LTIR and it gives them roughly seven, eight, almost $9 million to play with if they want to be a cap broker or take on contracts or picks or this or that. So they all get flexibility there. It's just a question of visibility at this point. We just need to know where he's at. Yeah. And we were supposed to get some kind of an update on him two weeks ago and we're still waiting to find out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think to me, what that means is they're trying to see if he can further rehab it. Yeah. Whatever he's going on and then they're going to reevaluate. They're probably reevaluating it tomorrow, to be honest, when practice resumes. Um, and I think at that point we'll have a clear indication of where he's at because you think fans want to know how he's doing. Rival teams want to know how he's doing. They want to know, like, <laughs> yeah. dude, is this guy is this guy going to be available because he's on our board and we'd like to know. And if we can't get this guy, because, like, let's be honest here, I just named you three centers that could potentially be top six guys uh, down the middle that could win important faceoffs and play 200-foot game in every situation. There's three. The moment yeah. one goes, there goes the party. And that's why when Horvat left, the 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 return was set for a t- for a guy like uh, Ryan O'Reilly. Um, Jonathan Tay is a little bit more complicated of a trade because a first of all he has to accept, b he has to waive his no movement clause, so you have to pick a team he wants to go to, and then three you absolutely need a third team to come in and retain fifty percent um, just to make it work. So more complicated yeah. of a trade. So you know if Sean Monahan can prove or can come back or can remain healthy. Could be a very interesting trade chip for uh, a few teams because you got to know that a team like, for example, the Carolina Hurricanes um, are going to be looking for a center for sure. On top of another scoring forward to replace Max Pacioretty, I think they're going to be looking for a center. So could make uh, could make you know sense there. Colorado's looking for a center. Uh, the Jets are probably going to look to get another center. Um, you're going to have a few teams. Well, yeah, I mean. There's definitely a seller's market now, especially at center, and that could really help the Canadians. And if they do lose Monaghan, uh, the option to trade him, there's a, I like the cap idea. They they could do that anyway, but now it'd be more pronounced as there would be a lot more to do to work with. They can move other older players. That's fine. Uh, they could go out out of left field and maybe trade for a prospect. We don't. All these things are there, but sticking with the injuries, the biggest one that everyone's worried about now is Cole Caulfield and his shoulder. Now, he had the surgery done, and I believe the doctor that did it was on Tivia for an interview, and he, yep. he talked about what he did and the the likelihood of recovery, and he said it's a, uh, a no-fail procedure. It's a hundred percent recovery. Yeah. I'm wondering how long it'll take before Caulfield gets back to normal though, because I've had surgeries similar to that and I'm just a normal old fart. And it, t- it took me a good nine, nine, 10 months. Uh, he's a young guy. He's a pro athlete. So I could see the six month time for him being legitimate, but I'm still concerned. I see six to six to seven, to be honest. And you know, if, I could, like this is a guy, and when I when I mean six to seven, I mean like ready to play games six to seven. Yeah, and so that's why they wanted to do it now because why do you want to disrupt? Like next season is going to be an important season, right? The Canadians, depending on what they do, could be starting to move up. You know, instead of being a bottom feeding team, they could they could make additions. They could be more of a competitive team, and and that's where you're going to need a Cole Caulfield to kind of be available. I, I could see that, you know, to me, it's it's a far more important thing, right? You you weigh the pros and cons of any potential injury. However, where I kind of like to bring it is the fact that they caught it as early, well, early as they did. He played through it for two months. The fact that he yeah. didn't further aggravate the injuries. Like, for example, Josh Anderson played a long time with that injury and aggravated it, which is the reason he was out for as long as he was, right? that seven-month period, that almost eight-month period, Cole Caulfield did not aggravate it. It popped out a few times, that's fine, but you did not aggravate the socket or the tendon. By making sure that you don't do that, what he's done is he's given him the best amount of, of chances to come back not only at 100%, but quicker than a guy like Josh Anderson. And it was the same surgeon who did both their surgeries, by the way. So 
it, it is interesting to, to, to learn about how the process works, but basically these kinds of, these kinds of surgeries very rarely, if at all, turn negative. And all it really does is it, it puts the, the shoulder in a position to not only go back to what it was before, but to have that extra, to have that extra strength once it's rehabbed properly to in fact become your stronger shoulder, which is good because it's a shooting shoulder uh, as well. So you kind of lean into those shots. You can bet that by the time his rehab is done, he's going to have a very, um, a very developed right arm uh, in terms of the way he's rehabbed. <laughs> It's gonna. It, it'll be interesting for me, but I. I have no. You know, I've I've seen team like I've seen shoulder surgeries before. Uh, heard of them, watched them, talked to to players about them. The best thing I can say is the fact that the he was forced out voluntarily to take the surgery bodes well for his return timetable, in my opinion, because what you hate to see as a player sustain an injury and be forced into their into that kind of a surgery that is when you have to worry about the timeline especially with the mindset for recovery because if he voluntarily went in for the surgery he knows what's coming he knows he knows the stakes he knows the the pluses and minuses and when it comes time for recovery he'll be he'll be focused on that instead of being disappointed that he had to do it so there's that mindset towards the proper recovery and the focus on it. And with, with this young man, he's, he's a very focused individual. He's very work oriented. So I'm not too concerned about that part of it. I think part of the reason why he finally decided to just acquiesce is that Hughes talked to his agent and said, look, we already know what we expect from him in the future. He's going to be long-term. Let's just hammer out the deal now. And he said, okay, fine. Let, I'm good. I'm going to get my deal. I'm going to go get fixed and I'll come back hundred percent, which brings us to what do we expect for a deal from myself? I wrote about this before the season even started. Yeah. And I, I mentioned a 9%, uh, a 9% cap hit. So 9% of the cap towards a contract for him. That may be underselling him a little bit. Now I know yeah. you were, you're working on something in regards to that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, just kind of try, trying to weigh, you know, where he's at versus others. Like, for example, like Tim Stutzler signed an 8.3 million times eight deal. Um, yeah. You look at, you know, Josh Norris, who's basically a point per game center, uh, just under eight million. Um, and then you have the deals that were signed, you know, over the last month, which had Matt Boldy uh, going 7-7 seven, seven, and has the same point, like basically around the same points percentage that Cole Caulfield had before his injury. Um, you know, you're looking also as of, I believe yesterday, uh, Dylan cousins, uh, 7.1 times seven, basically, a you know, a copy paste contract of Tage Thompson. So you're looking at these players and they're all very similar situation to Caulfield, uh, you know, kind of coming into their own Caulfield has the goal score advantage. That's what sets him above. In my opinion, that's what sets yeah. him to, to, to be worth more but he's in that kind of player category those are those are after your top echelon of restricted free agents you looked at you know a, a trevor zegers for example is probably going to make upwards of eight at this rate yeah. um i think they're right there on on kind of the same level and and you know some people would be like dylan cousins dylan cousins having a spectacular breaking out party this year uh, he and Tage Thompson basically coming into their own have given Buffalo the best center depth they've had since like, geez, Danny Briere and uh, uh, back back in the uh, banana Buffalo days. It's 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 pretty interesting. And since their Brian, Stanley uh, Cup run. Yeah, exactly. With Briere and um, yeah. why Pekka was there? I believe. I don't. I don't think Pekka was still around. Was he? I think he was in Edmonton that year. No maybe it's around that area. it was yeah it was it's more um i'm thinking about chris drury so you had drury and, and oh Maria. yes exactly yeah, yeah. and commonville was in there and vanek was coming into the league like that that's what they're building yeah. right now and you have to factor in that they, they acquired peyton krebs to be a center and he's not even playing right now uh you know you have a ton of prospects coming up for buffalo so like 
you look at the way that they're building their roster right now, they're signing their cornerstones early. And, you know, Darlene is probably going to be the bigger of the, the headache because he, 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 they bridged him, which might come back to bite them in the butt considering this season. That's what you want to avoid if you're the Montreal Canadiens. I think that they bridged Darlene, realized, oh, snap. The moment they saw the signs pointing towards long-term sustainable success with Thompson, they gave him that contract. The same thing applies when it comes to uh, Cousins. And I feel like that this is where we're kind of going with Caulfield is that it's written in the stars that the guy's going to be a 40-goal scorer. He's on pace for 45 as a yep. soft, let's call it a sophomore season. Um, so what teams also tend to do is be like, well, look, he's on pace to be a 50-goal scorer. He should be paid as much as um, Steven Stamkos, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, uh, you name it. It's like, yes, but... Yes, he's the same as them in this statistical category. However, the playmaking is not the same. The impact on the rest of the game is not the same. His five-on-five statistics are, in fact, lower. um, Or, sorry, not statistics. Underlying numbers are, in fact, lower than a guy like Dylan Cousins or a Matt Boldy. And that is not to say that Cole Caulfield is a worse player. Absolutely not. I think that what Cole Caulfield does very well, he does it in an elite fashion. But that cannot be a means to label his entire game as elite. To me, he is one of the best young goal scorers in this in this league. He could, on a good Montreal Canadiens team, one day hit 50 goals, in my honest opinion. Uh, I think they just need to be better, uh, especially on the power play. Um, once the power play starts clicking... I think so too will Caulfield. And I, you know, unfortunately for Kent Hughes, Pat Brisson and Cole Caulfield could actually use the Canadians' lack of an actual power play to their advantage because most of his goals are coming at five on five. He is one of the best five on five goal scorers this season uh, prior to his injury. So it, it muddies the water a little bit. So you saw these guys go for seven uh, over a seven year deal, seven, 7.1. I think Cole Caulfield is probably. You know, I would argue at least, you know, seven to 1.2 million more than them. But I think it puts to bed these ideas that Caulfield is going to be in the $9 million range over seven or $8 million. You know, like, that's not happening. Yeah. That's not happening. You need to be Kirill Kaprizov style, come into the league and already be on, like practically a point per game and scoring 30 goals. Like that's what you like to, to me. It doesn't, he doesn't impact everything the way that they do and that's why like comparing him to nick suzuki be like well yes he's the better offensive talent nick suzuki right now is the more complete player they shouldn't be too far off from each other if not the same exact contract i think a deviation of about two to three hundred thousand could be okay but then the question uh you know the question then becomes once you pay him then come the expectations and I think that that's the other thing that you need to keep into consideration. So, you know, I saw a, a few other outlets. I think the athletic had him potentially taking a bridge deal. Potentially. Uh, and Pat Brisson talked about it because his, one of his other clients is Jason Robertson. Uh, but he said that yeah. the reason Jason Robertson went for a bridge deal is because Dallas couldn't afford the long-term deal. And Jason Robertson at 7.75 is, is, is good, but today he's easily worth 10 11 million on a long-term deal right so that's kind of where it's going to cost Dallas money in the long run exactly and so like I would have moved out contracts and spent what I had to spend to move out to be able to sign him to the maybe nine million it would have cost them for the extra four years um if you look at you know at Caulfield Caulfield to me is under Jason Robertson Caulfield to me if Jason Robertson today or sorry if Jason Robertson in the summer of 2022 was worth $9 million over an eight-year deal, say, then to me, Cole Caulfield is worth 7.5 to 8, like anywhere between 7.75 and 8.25 over an eight-year deal. I think that's where he falls in. Yeah. And so I think it would be poetic for the Montreal Canadiens to have him and, Cough- and, and, and Suzuki have the same contract. It would be. But you also have to understand that they weren't at the same negotiating point in terms of leverage. Uh, that the other one was like when Nick Suzuki signed his contract, he had never hit the 60 point plateau in his career. He had hit the 60 point pace, but he had never hit the 60 point plateau. Right. So there was a lot more risk on the Canadians. Whereas Cole Caulfield 
has hit 20 plus 25 plus goals or no, he had 23 last season in like half a season, let's say. And yeah, you know, he has the 82 games under Martin St. Louis where he scored basically 48 goals. So you, 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 he could play with that and, and leverage a little higher than Nick Suzuki could. And that's understandable. There are the detractors that Nick Suzuki plays a more important position that is center, that his impact on the game is in all situations, not simply at five on five or on the power play. Um, you know, and that he's he was the figurehead of the rebuild for for this team when Mark Bergevin, not rebuild, but the next generation when Mark Bergevin signed to that contract. So there's yeah. there's a lot that plays into that. I'm hoping that this deal is done, you know, by the deadline Soon. or around there, because yeah. the longer it drags out, the more it's going to become a distraction. And the, you know, the, the Montreal Canadiens, there's going to be almost 20, if not more, 22 million, 23 million coming off the books this year in terms of contracts. And then that's depending on if they move out guys that are on term, like a Josh Anderson, like a Jake Allen, like a, like a uh, Joel Edmondson, uh, they could have even more. So you want to know where you stand with Caulfield so that you can turn around and make moves elsewhere. And I feel like that's why I would prefer and I, I would hope that this is done well before the summer, let's say. Yeah, that cost certainty would really, really help set up the plan for the following summer for free agents, for veterans to come in and kind of support them or uh, trades to bring in big name players if that's part of the plan. And you talked about Buffalo. I mean, you look at Buffalo's cost certainty now. They've got their top two centers locked up long term for under 15 million. That's incredible. And it angers me because they're in the Canadians division. Well, that's the thing you have to take. That's the thing you have to keep in mind now is like, yeah, Buffalo, like once Montreal builds and builds and builds, Buffalo is the team that they're going to have to deal with. By that point, the Tampa Bay lightning may be on, on the decline. Who knows what's going to happen with Toronto. If they're going to be able to retain Austin Matthews, we don't, we're not too sure. No, the Florida Panthers, he's gone for sure. Yeah, the Florida Panthers are going to have trouble in, in two to three years, in my honest opinion, when they have to start, you know, like fleshing out the rest of their roster and signing guys that are playing well above their pay grade right now. You know, the Detroit Red Wings are in limbo. Don't know what's necessarily going on with them. At one point or another, the Ottawa Senators might start winning on a regular basis. So then you find yourself in the Atlantic right now alone. It's just you right now as the Montreal Canadiens. This is the time to lock down your core and stockpile the youth because right now you're seeing Buffalo, they stockpiled the youth and now they're locking down their core. Montreal has the advantage that they have a Cole Caulfield and a Nick Suzuki to start this process because they didn't have that when they well, Buffalo did when they started their three successive rebuilds uh, or Ottawa, for example, when they, they start, they start like they raised it to the ground. Who is still in Ottawa that was start that was there at the beginning of the rebuild? Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat. That's it. So you're not, you know, it's like the, to me, you need to start that process. And they're there. You get them signed. You create a structure in terms of salary. And then you build your culture around that. And I feel like that's, that's what needs to happen. Well, with the Canadians, they've got the culture already kind of in place with Martin Saint-Louis and you've got Suzuki. So they, they've got the beginnings of it. You bring in that that cost certainty with the extensions, like you mentioned, and they can graft in other players like uh, Slavkovsky, if they can get his development going correctly. Uh, whoever they draft in the top 10 this year is likely to be a, a pretty good hockey player. They might even yep. get a second top 10 pick if Florida finally starts to stumble a little bit more. I, I, so I, I think the Canadians be, fans should be content with Florida's pick being anywhere between 12 and 16. Because my again, expectation like said, is 15, to be honest. Yeah, I'm 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 thinking I'm thinking along along the 14, 15, 16, which yeah. again, you know, if you base yourself on our draft rankings, oh, good. Um, you know, there's there's very good players to be had at that rank. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you just think of last year, you know, uh Noah Osland, uh, I believe went 16 to the Buffalo Sabres. He's a heck of a talent. Um, you know, Yao Kim Kamel went 17th. There are a lot of good players that you can get in the mid-teens, especially in a draft like this. Um, I had trouble in my draft rankings really kind of nailing down players into successive spots at that point. You, there's going to be fallers for sure. 
that those are the kinds of that's the kind of area you want to be if you're the Montreal Canadiens because if, if players start to fall for whatever reason, I mean, geez, Nick, Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, case in point, that's where you can kind of pounce on it. And I feel like the Canadians' developmental system is now better suited to kind of help those guys along. So you have Doc, you have Slavkovsky, you have Suzuki, you have Caulfield, hopefully signed long-term. If you if you can add two or three more pieces on top of what the Canadians already have, I think now you're starting to build. But clearly this team needs more elite talent and they can't afford to lose one like Caulfield. No, I, I 100% agree. And I'm pretty sure Kent Hughes is... Uh... Oh yeah, they agree. Singing his Let me tell you, right they now. agree. They definitely <laughs> agree. I think uh, if it were Kent Hughes, that contract would be signed right now. Yeah, I think. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they've got the the basic framework already done. So the quicker they get it done, the better. Like you mentioned, um, and for today, I think that pretty much covers everything that we had time for. Um, was there anything you wanted to direct my listeners and? our watchers to uh to check out i mean you can always check out montrealhockeynow.com i mean that's where we write basically every day all day uh keeping you locked on and not just canadians news in general but prospects rule books um just breaking down you know much of what goes on in the nhl uh we put out nhl draft rankings as well because on top of watching the montreal canadians i have no life and watch amateur hockey all the time um and then you know we tend to be available also on tsn 690 if you're in the montreal region or bpm spa if you're on the french side um so you can basically catch us anywhere and you can follow me on mn D'Amico on twitter if you have any questions well i mean there's you there's there's uh mark demont i'm you guys do amazing work there uh and in and talking to you guys in person you've been on the show a few times. I can't say enough good things about everything that you guys have done, what Jimmy has done to help build Montreal hockey now, because it was in limbo uh, about a year ago. And then the three of you show up, you've built this thing up again. And now it's, it's an impressive, impressive site that I, I, I can't say enough good things for. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, it's been a, it's definitely been a process in building it up and and trying to get, yeah, you know, working our relationships with with the Canadians and obviously other teams across the league. Um, you know, that's what's allowed us as of late to get more and more interviews with with players, draft eligible players, prospects, etc. So it, it is creating a situation that is humble to kind of take advantage of. Um, you know, things aren't necessarily very uh, peachy in the uh, sports journalism world right now. And a lot of people are unfortunately losing their their jobs in the process. So we're very thankful that in, in that kind of a situation, um, you know, we can kind of work our way into something that's sustainable and, and that can grow long-term, um, you know, hopefully being able to expand and, and give a lot of those other writers, you know, another outlet that they can potentially contribute to. Well, I can't wait to see what you guys have in plan for the site next. Um, for everyone listening please go check out marco's work go check out mark's work go to montreal hockey now of course check mine out as well at the hockey writers but definitely go check out their stuff at montreal hockey now like i said i can't say enough good things about everything you guys have done the hard work that you've guys put in and the the actual uh the product itself is of a high quality so everyone go check them out and uh for my listeners remember if you're talking about it so are we I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, and NBC Sports. 
Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. <laughs>